Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is PMH Atwater, who I like to say is the godmother of NDEs because she is one of the original researchers in the field. Not only has she had her own NDEs back in 1977, but she is also an international authority on them and has authored 18 books about or related to the subject. PMH, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love to be here. (laughs) PMH, it's been almost two years since you've been here and my audience has grown about 10 times. Oh, that's wonderful for you. Thank you. And a lot of them may be new to you. So what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is can you give us a brief history of your background with NDEs? Well, yes. My background is I died. (laughs) (laughs) I died three t- three times in three months in 1977. I was living then in Boise, Idaho. Um, I had been raped. I got pregnant. Um, there were there were there was a miscarriage, and all of my deaths were because of the miscarriage. Uh, death number one, January two. Next one, January 4, next one, March 29, and later that fall, I had three major relapses. So uh, I, I can say that <laughs> um, 1977 wasn't really my year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a year of crash time. I had to relearn how to crawl, how to stand, how to walk, how, how to tell the difference between left and right, see properly, hear properly and rebuild all my belief systems. In my third near-death experience, um, gee, how can I say this? um, I heard a voice. Now, lots of people hear voices. This wasn't that kind of voice. This, This was a voice so big. It was the universe itself talking to me. Not a guide, not a guardian, not a name. Forget all that stuff. This wasn't that kind of voice. It was like thunder. And that voice said, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. Then it, it, um, it did not name book number one. It did name books two and three. I really think death, uh, the book number one was, was coming back to life in my first book, but I don't know. Um, the second one was Future Memory. It, 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 if you could possibly get a hold of that book, it's not a book. It is a labyrinth. 
every sentence, every paragraph, every page is part of the math I use to create the labyrinth. The purpose of the book is to raise your consciousness up to the next highest level possible for you at that time. I, I have some people that read it every, every, every year. <laughs> Just, I, they can get that bump up. Um, the third one was a manual for developing humans. Um, we forget uh, that maybe 1500, um, 2000 years ago, the word for God was Hugh. Mm -hmm. Hugh was the sound of God. So human was God, man, God, woman. Uh, this idea then that the sound hue is God. So a manual for developing humans is quite literally our identification as co-creators with the creator. We all are, every one of us are. Um, you know, in the first grade, <laughs> are you taught to be a human being? No. <laughs> Second grade, third grade, maybe the 10th. No. Um, so, so this book really brings you to that point of who you really are. And, and it begins with teaching you and then helping you with language and with thinking. How do you speak? You know, all this kind of stuff. It's the kind of things that all of us need to know, especially near-death ex experiencers. The first thing a near-death experience must learn is, is to learn how to think again, how to speak again, because you don't know. You've been elsewhere, you've been in another realm. Um, you've been exposed to realities that, that you're not aware of, that may be frightening to you or wonderful to you, either way. And, and how do you deal with it? Well, when you, when you come back, how do you talk about it? You don't, you don't, you don't know what to do. So the Manual for Developing Humans teaches you in, in, in very easy ways. There's all kinds of wonderful things in the book, including <laughs> how to do an occupation acupressure facelift i mean why just exercise your body exercise your face <laughs> and so you know it's a wonderful book <laughs> let me ask you something here real quick now i think it's fascinating that you brought up hugh are you an echist not really although i know about them because i, had I know a, all about them i had a guest once he had an nde and he was damaged so badly from a car accident that in the hospital, they were waiting for him to die so they could harvest his organs. And throughout the night, he was chanting Hugh, like people from Ekankar do. And he was going in and out of consciousness uh, and, you know, and, and into NDEs. So I've just, when you said and that, it made, me, yes, it made me curious about that. I'm very well acquainted with Ekankar, um, but Hugh, the sound of the universe, the sound of God, the sound, sound of all that is, 
is is truly a powerful sound and it's a and, and it's a powerful being and it's a powerful reality it's who we are as the powerful people we are so certainly a manual for developing humans <laughs> is just that mm -hmm. it helps us to be who we really are and and then certainly since then i started my research in 1978, the following year, I met Elizabeth Kubler-Ross at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Um, and her plane was late to Europe, so we sat down on a bench and talked like a couple of schoolgirls for well over an hour. And I and I, you know, I told her what I went through with my three experiences. And she told me about the near-death experience. I did not have that term. She gave me that term. She said I was a near-death survivor. She did not use this experiencer. She said survivor. And I really felt like a survivor. <laughs> um, so it was, it was from her that I learned about the phenomenon. Um, I, I, I never heard of Raymond Moody or his book, Life After Life, ever, ever, ever. It, it was all from Elizabeth. And I, and I, when I left Idaho, I, I quit my job. I, um, I was employed at the time as, as a bank analyst. <laughs> really? I was a bank analyst. And I, um, and I quit my job. And I told my boss, I'm going to go chase rainbows. And, and I, I followed that rainbow. And I went first to the West Coast and watched... <clears throat> Watch the sun set silver over the Pacific and then meandered across the United States to where I, I could watch the sun rise golden over the Atlantic. Um, and, you know, it was an incredible trip where I could fulfill all my childhood dreams and wishes. And I did that. And, um, and uh, the adventures I had in Washington, D.C., that's where I wound up, in Washington, D.C., uh, were just legion, <laughs> of course, because I'm a Westerner. I, I mean, I come from Idaho. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know about Eastern speech and Eastern mannerisms and this kind of thing. And I just had one experience after another with that kind of thing. Um, you know, yeah, I finally got to the point where, where I would say to these people, would, would you please just tell me what you have to say instead of beating around the bush? You know, I beat around the bush, I hate to go on, on and on and on because I'm very direct, naturally. And when I, <laughs> when I left Denver in tracking across the United States, um, <laughs> I felt like I had left the United States at Denver and everything else was in Greece. You know, it was in some other country. It was not in the United States. So uh, um, <laughs> I had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> and, and, and my first, my first uh, opportunity to talk about my experience was in a police station <laughs> in Arlington, Virginia, which is wonderful uh, because my protocol 
is police investigative techniques because I'm a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station and that's what I know. And that's what I use in my, uh, in my work with, you know, uh, near-death experiences. And uh, it's a kind of police work that we had in the, in, the, in, in the 1940s, not the kind that we do now, but back then. <clears throat> and my dad was always very explicit. He said, uh, the body says more than the mouth does. So you're watching bodies. You're studying them carefully. And um, you, you get into people's homes whenever you, you can. And um, you talk to their healthcare givers or their neighbors or their children or whatever. <clears throat> you, you don't just go by what the individual tells you. So that's the kind of protocol I've had. I, I would be what one would call a horizontal researcher. There's only two types of researchers, vertical and horizontal. The verti vertical is what the scientific community uses. That is to say that they have a, 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 um, a form, a frame that they use where the, um, most of them will have written questions that they ask the individual and they figure out um, percentages according to answers. A horizontal researcher gets into the after effects deeply, the experience too. Uh, you're into the people's homes. If you can, you study them if you can. Um, so so uh, it's a very deeper, more broad way of looking at the near-death experience. So you can see all of it. You're not just seeing uh, uh, what a questionnaire lines up as, as um, going on. You're looking at the whole picture. So that's what I do. That's what I have done. And uh, <laughs> during my experiences, um, somehow, uh, I finally wrote a little book called I Died Three Times in 1977, and I only printed 50 copies. How a copy ever got to Hartford, Connecticut, I'll never know. Nobody knows, but it did. And Kenneth Ring, <laughs> the man who validated uh, the near-death experience in Raymond Moody, you know, he was, he was the one who is responsible for the scientific view of the near-death near experience and established it as, as a for real phenomenon. So Kenneth Ring, PhD. And somehow he got a hold of that book in a Hartford, Connecticut bookstore <laughs> and, and traced me down by telephone. You could do that then. We didn't have iPhones, we had telephones. Yeah. And he traced me down by telephone. And by then I had, I had remarried with my husband, Terry. We were living in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He traced me down to Harrisonburg. And he said he was going to be coming to, to a meeting in, in uh, uh, nearby 
and he wanted to know if he, he could stay overnight and, and talk with me. So he did, he came and, and I showed him what I'd done, my figures. Uh, by then I had interviewed and worked with uh, well over 800 people by then, almost 900. And he looked at my, <laughs> he said, you know more about the near-death experience than anybody. You've got to come up to, um, you've got to come up to uh, uh, Connecticut and and meet your meet your colleagues. Well, <laughs> I didn't know I had any colleagues. <laughs> I was just doing what that voice told me to do. Please know, this is this is what I followed. <laughs> that voice, that voice thunder in my head. This is what I was what I was supposed to do, so I did it. And um, I've been doing that work for forty four years, and as you said, uh, resulted in eighteen books uh, on or nearly uh, uh, about the near death experience. So I've been doing that work right along. Oh, and then. Um, suddenly, I the voice spoke to me again. This year, in August, first time, first time. What were you doing when the voice spoke to you? I was sound asleep. It was 3.53 in the morning. I was sound asleep. It woke me up. And it told me about my next research project. And I want you to know, I argued for over an hour. I mean, I did. I <laughs> said, no way do I want another research project. <laughs> I'm through with that stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just finished, I mean, just finished my memoir autobiography. It's called Edges, A Different Kind of Life. Um, and so I'm now looking for a publisher. So uh, I'm very much involved in wrapping things up, you know, I'm wrapping things up and I know I have two more books to do, but wrapping things up. Well, that next book that I'm to do is, is to be involved in this new research project. And that is anyone who is a near death experiencer. Now that's near dash death. I'm not concerned with those people who have um, nearly died. I'm looking for those people who, who, who went through the near death phenomenon. That is to say, who nearly died or came close to death, did die and come back, who experienced a scenario, you know, not a body experience, maybe a heavenly experience or hellish experience, some kind of storyline. This, 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 this defines a near-death experience. So I'm looking for those people who either during their near-death experience, or within a year afterward, had some kind of alien contact 
or some kind of experience alien uh, with aliens. And um, I did run across one person so far. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking for these kind of people. Yeah. I run across one person so far who had the alien contact two days before his experience, which is kind of odd, but, uh, you know, and, and, and if you have, then I want to know about your near-death experience. I know I want to know about your alien experience. Please send it to me. Um, my, <clears throat> my email is pmh at pmhatwater.com. So you're using PMH twice. PMH at pmhatwater.com. You can mail it to me. You can draw. You can draw. Yeah, you know, I'm open for pictures. Draw it. Uh, you can send it to PMH Atwater at well, no, PMH Atwater, PO Box seven six nine one, Charlottesville, Virginia, two two nine oh six. Yeah, that's right. Two two nine oh six. So you, you know, you can mail it to me or you can email it to me. I mean, real mail or email. And I want to, I want to know about your experience, i.e. The, the NDE. I also wanted to know about your alien experience as well. Um, how you feel about it, what the contact was, what you saw, you know. Um, and I'll, I, and I'll deal with it. Now, our we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Were you shocked when you heard about aliens? And is that no. something that you had an interest in? No, I have previously done some work in this vein. In my book, The New Children and Near-Death Experiences. There is a chapter in there, <clears throat> excuse me, dealing just with children's um, experiences with 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 aliens and and it's 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 a wonderful chapter found incredible experiences in South America uh, um, brothers who went through each each on their own different um with, with alien experiences that are just wow i mean it's just they're wow kind of things and in my first book coming back to life in the anomalies chapter there is several um so um i won't say i'm i'm unfamiliar with this but i will say I was not going to talk about this in any way or do any research on it in any way because it didn't interest me. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, wow. <clears throat> so I'm going to have to admit my own. I've had one myself. A UFO experience? An alien experience? No, not UFO. Alien experience. Uh, and it was... Uh, after 
during and after my third near-death experience. So I, I will finally, <laughs> I will finally have to admit that. Why have, why have, why have you been quiet? Why have you been quiet about it all these years? Because it did not seem relevant to the work I was doing. My work was the near-death phenomenon. And I stuck with that. And the different aspects of the, of the near-death experience, because that's a huge experience. Happens, just, happens to people all, all over the world. Um, my book, uh, uh, the big book of near-death experiences, is the only encyclopedia, if you will, in the whole world about the near-death experience. Um, and I, I, I gave my copyright to that book, the big book of near-death experience, to INS, the International Association of Near-Death near Studies, so that they would get all of the um, money that uh, comes from that book ad infinitum forever and ever Very because generous. i i feel that the, that this book the big book of near-death experiences belongs to the world not me the world so giving my my copyright to ians i feel is the best way uh, um to in, ensure that um uh, this would continue to go out to the greatest number of people and be handled in the way that it needs to be handled. Um, so yes, that, that book needs to be in every hospital. It needs to be in doctor's offices. It needs to be everywhere. The big book of near-death experiences. If you haven't read it, you need to read it uh, because it gives you all aspects of the near-death experience. And um, yeah, it, it's a children, adults, um, heaven, hell, um, all aspects of the near-death experience because we have the hellish kind, the heavenly kind, um, initial experiences where there's only just maybe a couple of things like the living dark, um, maybe an autobody, autobody, uh, uh, um, you leave your body, um, maybe some uh, single simple thing, sometimes um, a real storyline where you're met by loved ones and, you know, have all kinds of experiences. Sometimes uh, um, we have of incredible near-death experiences in the sense that they see all of history from beginning to end. Um, Ricky Bradshaw had one of those. And I talk about him, believe it or not, in my memoir book that's coming out because his, his story is remar remarkable. Um, and we all need to know about that. His story must go on. He's long since passed away, but his story must go on uh, because it's so um, it's so special that uh, you know we need that story, and, and we've got a number of stories like that. 
that I do mention that that I do mention. So uh, yes. <laughs> All right. There's something. I as the big book. <laughs> there's something I need to ask you. Sure. Who was the voice that has talked to you, and is it possible that voice is an ET? No, it is not possible that voice is an ET. Who it is, I don't know. What it is, I think, is a better answer. It's not a who, it's a what. All right. And what it is, I don't know, but I do know that it is, that it's almost like the universe speaking. So if you want to think in terms of God, that's fine. But um, I would invite you to think of what God is and, and go beyond your ideas or thoughts or, or training or feelings about, about what you think God is. And that's where that voice comes from. When you heard the voice during your NDE, since we don't have ears, was it more like you felt the voice? Like the voice you know, was that, you? That's really hard to describe because it wasn't a hearing. It wasn't a feeling. It was an isness. It's like, it's like I was wrapped up in that voice. I was wrapped up in the power of that voice. It... it I, yes, I heard it, but I didn't hear it like I hear sound. Right. It's like I, it's, it's, it's all there is. It's all that was. It's all that could ever be. That's what I heard. Now you said something and I, and I have to ask you, you mentioned body language. So what? Uh, What are some typical things that we should look at when we're speaking or listening to someone tell their story about their NDE? What should we be noticing about their body language? I'm watching the hips. I'm watching the arms. I'm I'm watching the head and what you do with your head, who you're really looking at when you're talking. Um, I'm trained in body language most um, good investigators are because different things, the way you use your palms and hands, that says different things. So body language for me, bear in mind, I was was raised in a police station. (laughs) I really was. (laughs) We're going back now, everybody, (laughs) to the 1940s. 1950s uh, in Twin Falls, Idaho, and my dad was a beat cop. That is, uh, you know, he worked the beat and drove the car. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I would get, um, um, I'd have to stay late after school, or maybe doing a little shopping or something. And I need a ride home. <laughs> I'd go to the police station. And in those days, you could do that. You can't now, of course. Right. But in those days, you could. Um, during dad's coffee break. When dad would have a coffee break, he'd, he'd take me home. 
So I'd have to sit and wait in the police station until his coffee break occurred. So I was, I was one of the little kids. I really, I, I would go up to the interrogation room. And in those days we had those keyholes, real key, keyholes. And I'd go up to the keyhole and I'd watch, you know, them interrogating people. I'd listen to them. And, and always, 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 the, the, the person would say, well, I just knew if I opened that door, or they'd say, well, I just knew if I, if I went those people, something bad would happen. And, and, and my literal head would say, well, if you already knew, why did you do it, you stupid person? <laughs> And, you know, I grew up thinking all adults were stupid, you know, because they didn't listen. Um, but I grew up watching and listening to everything, not just because I was a cop's kid, but because I was born with dyslexia and stenesthesia. In those days when nobody had heard of either one. And I did my first double-blind study with a, with a control group at the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was just one of those people that were always experimenting. Um, let me tell you a little bit about, about my first grade. And that was in Twin Falls, Idaho. These are the war years. And well, let me tell you a little bit more. I, when you'd go to the movies, you know, you paid 12 cents to go to the movies. Not anymore. <laughs> really was a long time ago. <laughs> anyway, I, and kids would go to the, the, the Saturday, you know, matinee, and it was early in the morning. And you, you'd see something like Roy Rogers or, you know, and, a serial of some kind and, and the funnies. But you'd also get a, a newsreel. And I was literally, I was seeing Hitler and his goose steppers all the time. We, we, uh, the newsreels would often be in Hitler pounding on a podium and here we go, his goose steppers. And I can say I was raised with Hitler and the Goose Steppers. Um, there were there were these big um, um, signs, uh, self-standing signs all over. You know, um, uh, help the war effort, buy bonds, and, and they were everywhere. They were absolutely everywhere. And and uh, by the first grade. That was the time of Pearl Harbor. And it, it, it was just horrific for me because I, I'm walking to school uh, and I had a long walk down Shoshone Boulevard and Twin Falls and way down to my school. And in those days, if somebody died in the war effort, the government sent you a large gold star decal that you'd put up on your window as um, 
as a sign that somebody, you know, in your family died in the war effort. So uh, as I'm walking to school, a lot of the homes had gold stars in their window. Well, kids knew, know what's going on. It was a walk of death, literally a walk of death to get to the first grade. And, and this one home, I'll never, never, never forget it. That's six, I think it was six, five or six new gold stars overnight in this one person's house. And I just stood there and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I cannot remember one single morning in all of first grade when I didn't have to stop my shudders and my cries just to walk in the door of my classroom. Added to that, was the fact that I was born with stenesthesia and dyslexia. So in those days, nobody heard of that stuff, at least where I lived. Um, and I was the only kid in school, of course, with, with stenesthesia, which is multiple sensing, where I could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. And... <laughs> The, the, the teacher thought I was lying. So I had to spend most of the first grade on a tall stool in front of the class wearing a tall uh, conical hat that said dunce on it as, a, uh, uh, um, as an example of a bad child who told lies. Yes, I did that. And the principal tried, tried twice kick me out of school um, and my mother wouldn't let him so I, I went through the whole first grade and I became so angry that that by the end of the first grade I just decided that all adults are stupid and I ne never want to be an adult when I grow up mm -hmm. I, 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 I just became angry um, and, and I think a lot of that, um, a lot of that power, a lot of that strength, a lot of that idea continued throughout my li li life because I did a whole lot of things after that. Uh, for instance, in, in, you know, <laughs> in high school, you know, you, you have the Miss Twin High contest, you know, you go honor the prettiest lady. Um, that was wrong, absolutely wrong, wrong, wrong. What about the guys? So I just, I, I started the, the Mr. Twin High contest, did it all by myself, went to the board, hey, did it all. It was big cameras, newspaper, big thing. I was always doing things like that because, because it, it was fair. Things had to be fair in my mind. Yeah. And I was always doing things like that. Um, so it's no wonder that, um, that I had a different kind of childhood because I did. And I was just always starting things and getting in trouble. <laughs> always, always, always. And so it's no, no wonder to me anyway that, 
that after I died, uh, after I went through the horrific experiences and being raped and all that kind of stuff, that this incredible voice would say to me, test revelation. Uh, I mean, why not? I was already, I was already trained. <laughs> so I did that that voice asked me to do. I did. 44 years. You bet. I did it. And uh, and now I've got an, another <laughs> I've got another job to do. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully I can just do something easy. <laughs> you know, I believe it was you that told me that 50% of people who have NDEs wind up getting divorced. Is that, uh -uh. was it uh -uh. you? It's right around 70%, 70 to 80%. Why is that? When you come back, you're a different person. You speak different. You think different. Most of us don't even know how to speak. Uh, you have to learn that. How to think, you have to learn that. It terrorizes many. Um, not all of them make it, by the way. Um, most of them are able to integrate their experience, but certainly not all of them. My book, um, The Forever Angels, if you haven't read that, you must, everybody, you must. Because I focus in that book on children between birth and the age of five. That group, birth to the age of five, is not like any other experiencer. And I mean that totally. Because they never had a before. So their view of the near-death experience is completely different than anybody else's. And, and the way they handle it or don't handle it is completely different. It takes the average, average near-death survivor, um, and I'm talking tweens here and teens and adults, seven to 10 years to integrate their experience. Don't believe in anybody who said they did it quicker because they didn't. Hmm. I think they did, but they didn't. The average child takes 20 to 40 years. Children do not integrate, they compensate. It's an entirely different view of the near-death experience. Get the book, The Forever Angels. I had one police officer, <laughs> I find that interesting, he was a police officer, uh, called me on the phone. How did he get my phone, phone number? Well, he was a good cop, <laughs> that's how he got it. <laughs> called me on the phone, he, he was a, a New, New York City cop, a beat cop. He, he, was in, uh, he was in his late 40s and he was crying. I kid you not, this man was crying. 
and he said he 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 just gotten a hold of the book the forever forever angels read that book and he said for the first time in my life i know i'm not crazy children are different but the little bitty ones they're really different they're not they're not like other near-death experiencers not at all so get the book the forever angels get your mind blown can you share with us some other near-death statistics like the one we just talked about on divorce ah well i don't carry them all in my head because I like to be precise. You can well, one, thing I, one thing I can share with you on children that ought to blow your mind. Uh, with children see three lights. There's not one, there's three. And, and children are very explicit about that. There is this light that it, um, that has no color, but it's so powerful. It's an incredibly powerful light. And then there's the black light or the dark light. Um, uh, often has purple tinges to it. And then there's the white light, is the, the very bright light. Is the black light what people call the black void? No, I'm talking about a black light. Um, and the children are very specific about what these lights are. We can, we can go to the void later, but the children are very specific about these lights. They say, well, that white light, that, that beautiful white light, you can talk to that light. That, that light knows all about you and you can talk about that light. That's father light. The black light or dark light that's very warm and friendly and you love being in that dark black light. It's just so cozy. That's mother light. And this real powerful light that really doesn't have any color, but it's just so powerful and radiant. That's God's light. And the mother light and the father light come from God's light. So the children are very specific. When you're talking about the void, I experienced the void in my second near-death experience. The void is nothing. There's nothing there. There's no sound, no, I mean, it's, it's absolutely nothing. There is within the void the presence of all that has ever been and all that will ever be. But there's nothing there except there is a shimmer in the void. I would compare that shimmer to a bowl of jelly or jello. And just when you're just about ready to touch that jello, 
there's a there's a there's just a little bit of a shimmer. You haven't touched it, but you, you, you're just about ready to touch it, and there's this shimmer. That's the void. Would you say the void is an intermediate place? That's a tricky term. I wouldn't use intermediate. It's a tricky term. That's something the average human would use. The void. I don't know how I would describe the void except to say it is that potential. It is a potentiality. that all creation responds to. It seems though like it is a place that's after leaving the body, but before going somewhere else sometimes. That's our human focus. That's what we want to see and think of it. That's why I don't use those terms. Because that's what we like to do as human beings. We like to fit everything into containers that we can respond to. You cannot fit the void into anything like that. It's not a container. It's not something you can fit things into. Rather, it is a potentiality of all that is, all that was, all that will ever be. If you think of it in those terms, you have a better way of sensing what the void might be. Don't use human terms to define the void because they won't work. I have had some experiencers say that while in the void, the light will appear and they'll leave the void and go to the light. Well, you can. Um. That's kind of a mishmash. And we use those kind of terms because we don't know what other term to use. That, that, that's a human way of, of, of progression. That's a, that's a human way of trying to fit, fit it all together. And my sense is, is it, 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 it's flat. It really doesn't. It really doesn't show you in any way what the void really is. Rather, 
it gives you a human pathway to accept the void. Why do people go to the void? People don't go to the void. Forget that. People do not go to the void. If you wind up in the void, if you are somehow sucked into the void or the void is there, you don't belong, those words don't work. Um, that doesn't happen the way we think it happens. We can say there's choice and just suddenly you're in the void and it can work that way. But that's not what the void is. Um, you can say that people know all about the void and have defined it. Well, maybe, maybe that that's, maybe that satisfies their sense of question. That's a tricky thing here. When, when you're, you're getting beyond what we think is, is, is incarnation and what we think are houses and trash cans and people and dogs and cats and lives, when you get beyond what we think of as a human life in a human place, on an earth ball that's spinning in the, in the galaxy. When you get beyond that, you are faced with, how do you explain anything? And how do you relate to anything? And those people who say they figured it out or saw it or it works this way, what they have done in, uh, to my, my, uh, to my way of thinking is they found a way to explain this that either makes sense to them or at least gives them something they can hang words to. Sounds like you can write a whole book on the void. You could. And, 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 and it may or may not be right. Yeah. You see, that, that, that's the thing you run into. When you try to put any kind of human understanding or opening onto something that is beyond humanness, that is beyond 
any idea of life, then that's a sticky wicket. And all we can do is describe or humanize to the best of our ability what we feel needs description. And that helps us feel better. But that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that's the way it is. Helps us feel better. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got a description. It works. Yeah. You know, I can depend on that. It works. But is it but is it really, really real? Probably not. Let me ask you this. I've had a significant number of people during their NDE wind up in a room with a door. Oh, have you, yes. have you come across <laughs> that? And what is that room? Oh, yeah. That, that, that's even a psychological quiz. Yeah. <laughs> Love to take these psychological quizzes. This white room with no door, no windows, or uh, with a door. Often that is a sign or a symbol of past lives. You know, you open the door. Uh, maybe there's several doors and pick a door and you wind it up in a certain past life or in a certain realm or, um, yeah. It, it, again, it, I feel it's a, it's a symbolic way of giving, giving us another way of understanding or uh, uh, another image to go with or uh, another uh, way of, 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 of approaching something. Because we, we human beings, we need that. You know, we need words that fit or in some way challenge us or give, give us something to think about. And if you're in those realms, what's a word? It doesn't have any value. That's why I, 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 I say to people, read future memory. You'll get an understanding of the difference between words and reality if you read future memory. Um, that, that's a very valuable book for doing that. Do you think we co-create the NDE? Well, that's an interesting question. In my book, I have found re repeatedly reasons why we haven't. Uh, there are conditions in there in a person's life. They're almost like calling cards. The reasons why we would have a near-death experience. And there's a number, a number of reasons why we might have one. And I've got those all listed for people. If they want to, you know, you can read the big book or I, I also, uh, um, approach that uh, in, a, in a number of the books I've written. Um, 
Yes. We have these kind of experiences when we need them. Literally, when we need them. When we need that kind of kick in the seat of the pants, when we need to be challenged, uh, when our world needs to be turned upside down, when we need some kind of ultimate smack in the in our face we'll get one of these do you think people ever plan ndes pre-birth that's a hard one to answer because who knows but i doubt it i doubt that very many would um but it's certainly possible um but i it's possible i haven't run across that but i can see where it would be possible in your opinion why do we keep reincarnating over and over again we didn't do it right the first time <laughs> <laughs> that's simple so are you saying that there's an end point then and we go on and do something else? Well, not necessarily. Um, I don't, number one, I don't think anybody knows the real answer. Number two, it seems as if we go through different scenarios in order to better be who we are in order to um to be more of who we are in in order to be a more perfect wave in an ocean of realities. Why do we have, why do we reincarnate? I think there's many different answers as there are people. I don't think you can give a flat answer but what I've seen in my own experience is whatever I have seen with people uh, long before I died, I, I was a professional hypnotist, a professional um, in, um, in a whole lot of different things. And what I would see uh, over and over again, I'm also a professional astrologer and so forth and so on. 
um, what I would see over and over again is it is where wherever we didn't fully turn off the spigot, so to speak, wherever there was a blind spot or something that needed to be done, this life would 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 be that. Um, would be that opportunity where we where we could finish it off. Um, and and you're going to love my new book in that respect, Edges: A Different Kind of Life. Because very very late in the book, I talk about un unconditional love and very various aspects of my own life in dealing with that but especially the different places I went across the world where people would invite me to speak and I'd go. And invariably I would run into um, unfinished business from my past life. Invariably, over and over and over again. I'd always be doing that. <laughs> And I got to the point where I began to realize that that travel for me, at least, travel for me, enabled me to to finish off a lot of unfinished unfinished business in a very um, in a very good way. Uh, like for instance, like for instance, in, in one, one of my trips to Norway, I, I, you know, I went there three times, but one of my trips, uh, I, I was in the Song Fjord and I was at Balistrand and um, Vik and a lot of the different places in Norway. Uh, um, uh, 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 along the Song Fjord, and I, I and I came very clearly at Balistrand that I had been a Viking in a past life, and specifically th th this is where I'd been, and I, I and I'd been there when I'd had this vision, this incredible incredible earth-changing for me vision that I was to join Father Eli, uh, Olaf and to help bring not only Christianity to, to the Norwegians, but, but to, um, um, to, to unify Norway. I had a big job and uh, I was to be with Father Olaf so I left my job as a Viking <laughs> and found Father Olaf and, and part, of, part of Father Olaf's army. And, and, and the big, huge battle at, at Stickelstad. It, it compares very well to um, Lincoln and all the things they did at, at um, that Gettysburg and uh, you know, it's sort of like Norway's Gettysburg 
And I was there with, with Father Olaf, and I was there fighting, and he was over this hill and fighting, 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 you know, to, to free Norway. And, and this one guy, you know, um, uh, ran, a, ran a sword through my chest and, and feeling like, wonderful. This is a good way to die. You know, I just took it in as, this is wonderful. And, and Father Olaf on the other hill was also killed. So there I was, you know, with these feelings very real and I could see it and I could see the battles. And I went with my friend over this little hill and it, it, it was a little bit beyond the park. And there was a farm there and right underneath the tractor was where I died. So I took a photograph of it. I have that photograph today. And it was so important to me that I found where I died. I mean, it's just so thrilling. Um, so I went around in different places uh, where, I, where, I, where I had opportunities to meet myself as I had been before or to correct things that, uh, you know, uh, needed correction or, or to learn why I'm the way I am today from the way I was then. And it's like, wow, what an opportunity to 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 have this um this gift to be able to put it all together and realize yes it it all has meaning and it's all part of my advancement my education, my freedom to be who I am, that incredible spark in the universe, to be fully that spark. Yes. Love it. When you were on the other side, were you stripped of your ego and you were just awareness? Well, it depends on where. Uh, if you're talking about when I uh, met the different parts of me in past lives, no, I wasn't stripped of, of awareness. I knew. I guess I was just speaking of NDEs. I, I did. I did not know at the time. No. It was bigger than, and more vast than anything I'd, I'd had been exposed to before. And I'd been exposed to a lot, but no, it's bigger. What causes a person to have a hellish NDE? Unfinished business. Unfinished business, period. Can you give me an example? I can give you two examples. 
in my work, and we're going back a little bit, I gave a very large talk at a senior center that was very, very big, had a big hall. I don't know if it was a senior center, some, some kind of big center. It was packed with people. And I, I was talking about my research and at the end of my talk, I said, is there anyone here who would like to talk about their near-death experience who haven't talked about it before? Two people volunteered, a man and a woman. Man was first. And he talked about his experience and it, it was so heavenly and so beautiful and so forgiving and so loving. And uh, uh, there wasn't hardly a dry eye in the place. I mean, it touched us all. And then the man said, that was the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. He was sorry he had ever had it, that it mucked up and, and destroyed his life and, and he wished it would never have happened. And then this one woman popped up. The man, I guess, was maybe in his early 30s. Well, woman in her later 30s, I think. And, and she had a horrific experience. I mean, thunder and big clouds and, um, and roaring thunder. And, and she was in this whirlpool and she was being sucked down in the whirlpool and she had to fight to get out of that whirlpool and, and make it to the bank. And, and then she, <laughs> she said that was the best thing that ever happened to her in her life because it proved to her that she could get out of anything, anything that she had the ability and the knowledge and the chutzpah and the strength to survive anything. And, and, and she felt blessed to have had this kind of experience. And there we all were, you know, in this huge room. It must have, it must have been 200 or more people. And here was this beautiful, beautiful heavenly experience and the guy hated it. And we had this horrific experience and the gal loved it. And I tell everybody, it is these experiences are in accordance what, what, with whatever is best and right for you at this time. We can't call something hellish and something heavenly. We can't, that's judgment. It depends on the individual, always ask the individual what they think it was. Because it's the individual that says, not you. In your opinion, are there requirements for an experience to be classified as an NDE, and if so, what are they? You either have an autobiography experience or a storyline of some kind, period, end of story. All right. That's it. What is your opinion of what consciousness is? I don't know how we can define that, except to say 
it is awareness. Consciousness is awareness. with some kind of aliveness to it. It's, a, it's an alive awareness. It's an awareness of, of, of living, of life, of, of, of being something. Uh, because lots of things are conscious. So I would say consciousness is awareness because a carrot is conscious. A bead is conscious. A flower is conscious. Um, a wall is conscious. Every, I, I feel, and it has been my experience that everything has consciousness, rocks, dirt, plants, everything is consciousness. And I talk about this in my book. I, everything is conscious. There are degrees of consciousness, however, and that consciousness can be expanded and, and, and include and be a consciousness with direction, a consciousness with meaning, a consciousness with relationship. That's how I deem myself, my husband, my children, you, we're a consciousness that has relationship, that has that that can project in all directions. We have a consciousness that is more than just existence. Our consciousness has power and strength, and is it is far more than just a brain. A lot of people have lost somebody in their life and they are grieving. What kind of advice do you give to those people? Grieving is important. I would never in any way uh, interfere with a person's grieving. But by the same token, I would invite them to bring into their life that essence of who or what they're grieving for. And as they do that, come to realize that that grief is healing that grieving enables them to heal and realize that whatever it is they're grieving about is important 
has a, a place in their life. Whether it be a person or, you know, the grief of a loss of a job or whatever, whatever they're grieving for. That has purpose and meaning. And strength. And in their grief, allow that purpose to heal, to settle, and to form a level of love and understanding and purpose. Do you fear death at all? Well, I, I know it's there. And there, there's been times when I have, yeah. Hey, I'm 85. <laughs> um, and I know when it comes, well, we, we can laugh together. If people want to find out more about you or NDEs, what's the best way to do it? Is to get on my website, www.pmhatwater.com, and sign up for my free monthly newsletter. Um, you know, you get on the site and you go over to newsletter, sign up for it. There's an archive there, and you can see past issues. I tell everybody that the newsletter is for the curious. And so if you're curious about life and different issues, you'll love my newsletter. So, you know, be a part of the newsletter. You'll, you'll enjoy that. Um, yeah, nice. just, just, you know, enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way to do it. You're going to want the section on my website on charts, C-H-A-R-T-S, charts, where I'm a great believer in, in, in being able to show you what I've found. So I've set up all these charts. You'll also want to get into NDE after effects. If you are an individual who's had an NDE, um, NDE, or know someone who has, get in there. I call that first aid for, for experiencers. And that's going to help you a lot in dealing with your experience. I, I certainly encourage everyone to join IANS, International Association of Near-Death Studies. They have all kinds of, of resources, and you just do uh, certainly, you can do www.iands.org, or you, you can just call them uh, services at iands.org. So you, you can certainly um, go, go to those places. Um, don't forget, if... Uh, some type of alien experience was part of your near-death experience. Be sure, be sure to uh, join that. 
Um, I certainly do need a, a number of cases. Uh, I would like to have at least maybe 200 or more. So uh, uh, participate if you can. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Always there's love. PMH, thank you for that message. And thank you again for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing. You do. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.